All right, everybody, welcome to uh, this this special episode, and and we're going to change this up now. Typically, I have the the podcast called the Hoss Talks Foss, and we're still going to have that, but with 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 Marcos here, it it requires a little bit more panache, a little bit more jazzing up, because as many of you know who work at Percona, but some of you might not know. Uh, Marcos is the Percona official grill master and the official uh, barbecue master of all things Percona. So today we're going to bring to you something new. We're going to try it. We've never done this before. It's grilling open source with Marcos. And, and, and eventually we might actually do this where we live stream while we both cook, which could be kind of fun. But right now we've got Marcos here. Marcos. Really happy to have you. It's great hey, to have Matt. you here. Yeah, yeah, it's it's great to be here. I, I really love the idea and really in open source indeed sounds like a fun project. So super happy to participate. So Marcos, tell us about the painting behind you. Oh, that's a classic batik. It's a kind of painting done in Uruguay. This is done by a guy called uh, Parrisha. Uh, okay. He's a friend of the family and it's a style made with wax. Uh, so wax. It's a wax? Yeah, it's wax painting. I've so, never heard of that before. But I've the, heard of painting painting. <laughs> no, this one's made of wax, actually. It's just, so it's kind of like, uh, how do you call the technique with the, where you go with, with a, a large stick over with the wax and you just print out some parts. So you have a mold with the parts you want to color. You, you put on some wax with that color and you press it and then, and then put another layer with another color and so on. Wow. So, yep. So I mean, the guy is a interesting. Friend. Yeah, very, very cool. Very cool. And uh, so, so Marcos, you've been here at Percona for ever. Almost um, 11 years. Yes, sir. 11 years. Yeah. And, and you've been in support almost the whole time, right? I think the whole time. Well, right? I, I was there before support was created and I, yeah. I am an original member of the original support team. Yes. Do, do you um, remember how support was created? I remember it was this being discussed, and one day we were in Cancun, and they said, you know, tomorrow we're going to start taking uh, support contracts. And basically, two days later, we had our very first support email. I was there with Fernando Ipar. Uh, it, it was a very simple thing. And yeah, we started taking support tickets in Cancun during the old company meeting. Uh, in 2010, uh, 2011, uh, early yeah, and, 2011. And what's funny is like a lot of our stuff started that way. So, you know, it's very, I, I mean, it's the small startup. It's the small open source thing. I remember when Peter started doing 24 by seven, like consulting, um, you know, he, he came to us all and, you know, on, on like a Monday and he said, by the way, on Thursday, we're all going to do 24 by seven. Everybody needs to take shift. Right. And it's like, <laughs> What? <laughs> That's when SSCs came in, right? Like the support. Uh, yes. Yeah. Shortly thereafter. That's how I came few... into Percona. That, that's yeah, yeah, that's, that yeah. was my uh, role. Yeah, a few, a few of us actually started in that. Uh, you know, we, we were consultants, and and so I did like three AM shifts, or you know, like the overnight shift occasionally because everybody was just scheduled. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Peter was a scheduled man, Vadim as well. Yeah, Peter, Vadim, like all the executives had shifts as well. So it wasn't just 
like one person. It was, you know, it, it was everybody and it was all equitable across the board, which I think actually helped because it wasn't just, you know, making everyone else do it. You know, you know um, so. that, that, that's one thing about uh, startups and, and open sources that, that you have to sometimes, you know, take growing steps and you don't have the funds. You know, like in a bootstrapped company like Percona, uh, you know, you, you can't say, yeah, let's, let's hire 24 persons to just do the night shifts and, and, you know, like fill, fill up a schedule of people. And it, it had to be bootstrapped. So yeah, everybody has to put some effort. And I, I guess that's also kind of goes hand in like that, uh, adventurous spirit goes hand in hand with open source and it, it fits very well in the culture. Yes. Yes, it does. Now, speaking of adventures. And we mentioned that you're the Percona Grill Master. So what kind of eclectic things have you tried that, that either like you found, like, I don't think I like this, but you, you really did when you, when you go out and you, you make some, some good barbecue? Uh, wow. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you one that you're going to, I hope you're not crossed out. Uh, but you know, like, <laughs> no. So we eat entrails, right? Like, uh, we eat, uh, what we call chinchulin. Uh, it's like the, uh, thin intestines. Yeah. So, the intestines. Intestines. So yeah, that's something you said. Yeah. I'm not sure I'm going to like that, but you know, those are like, uh, but the, then one day, you know, I was like, um, we also eat the sweetbreads, right? Uh, mm-hmm. and, and those, you know, which I usually also like, but then you also have the testicles and ah. that one is well, like, I'm not sure I'm going to like that. And finally, you know, one day they told me now you should, you should prepare them and, and have some. And it was like, okay, I'll try it. And yeah, I was actually, uh, pleasantly surprised. So, so Weird when people come down, super it, flavorish. So, so when people come down, do you like to like grill like the intestines or the testicles or the, the, the oh, you know, like, and, and then give well, it to them and then in, like not tell them? Intestines and sweetbreads. Yeah. Especially sweetbreads are like super good. Like it's super, super good. And yeah, sometimes, you know, I would tell people, I, I, I will never give them surprise, right? It's like, I will tell them okay. what it is and convince them that it's actually super delicious. And when they see the, the platers go away in a second, they actually get convinced. So they usually try it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's weird because depending on where you live, it's a little bit different, like what, what people generally eat and what you know people are willing to eat. It's just not something that you typically eat here, like in the United States. <laughs> uh, then tongue, uh, cow tongue. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like uh, slow cook it. That, that was something also that, that it was like, uh, I'm not sure. You know, I was like, I don't like the look of it. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, it's, it's like actually it's slow cooked. It's really, really good, <laughs> really good. Well, well marinated. Well, cool. <laughs> yeah, well, and so that's good because you know, like, like I said, it, it, all the little different individual pieces there. You know, um, it, it, it's interesting because we just don't try them here. But um, you know, a, a, as you you try those different things, you've had to support many different things in the open source space as well. Uh, and so over the years, you've had numerous support cases um what what typically do you see is is one of those like challenging things that continually comes up like what what do you see that 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 you know from an open source perspective that causes you know uh people pain mm, 
wow, from the open source perspective. Well, I can tell you what causes pain on my SQL. Uh, you know, like usual things that usually are hard to diagnose, like memory leaks or, you know, some weird crashes that are super hard to reproduce. Um, but so like now there's more and more tooling, right? Like uh, some years ago, like I would say five years ago, it, it was hard to do some performance diagnostic because we didn't have perf and we only had O profile and it was so heavy. Uh, and. Now we have perf that improved performance diagnostic a lot. Uh, now we have BPF trace, which, you know, it's, uh, D trace for Linux. So that's also a great move forward, right? Like BPF and, and, and perf have been re- really, uh, instrumental to solving many complex cases, especially perf because BPF, there are only few customers that are running. So perhaps that's one thing that I could say that it's, hard in the open source environment. Um, moving people to newer versions, you know? Uh, so the big enterprises, they use open source. They now embrace it, Linux. They, they are sure that's the way to go, but they are super conservative and they are still running 2.6 kernels, right? So, oh, really? Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, like I have, I don't know, 5.14, 5.16 in my, in my, in my laptop. These guys are running, you know, uh, 2.632 with a, a thousand patches, you know, it literally probably has a thousand patches on top, but still, right? And some stuff is backported. Some stuff is backported in an incomplete way. Um, but yeah, that, that's, uh, hard. And sometimes people doesn't believe you if you tell them, Oh, you know, that old kernel, your NVMe drives, they're probably not going to give you all their juice because. There are no, uh, proper schedulers, IO schedulers for those. And, you know, the drivers for SCSI, they, they didn't have the multi-queue stuff. So it was like, yeah, you need to upgrade. And, and that, that's kind of hard. Like getting people to upgrade people's running MySQL 5.5, uh, <laughs> Mongo 3.2, all, all stuff that it's end of life. Uh, and because I don't know, I, I'm not sure how it works in the non-open source world, because I was never on the other side of the trench, right? Like I never worked in a company, uh, in an enterprise that actually was using paid software like Oracle or whatever. Uh, so I couldn't tell how they behave when something reaches an end of life. But I can tell you in the open source world, it's not uncommon to see people going way beyond it. <laughs> so that's... Yeah, I mean... I mean, it's out there. It's open. They figure, you know, eventually they 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 can they can fix it if they need to. I guess. Yeah, and and it's free, and you know, it's kind of perhaps also people, it's cautious, and they want to wait a few uh, rounds before upgrading. But you know, obviously they're overdoing it. <laughs> so like a few re- releases, right? Like a few rounds, a few releases, I mean. Um, and that that's one thing that yeah. It usually gets in our way to completing diagnostics. Um, what else is hard? It's, it's hard to, to monitor. It's, it's hard to monitor. Uh, well, now PMM is, is solving a lot of that for us. Uh, and, and Grafana, of course, works fantastically, but monitoring 5,000 instances, 4,000 instances, it's still hard. Uh, finding, you know, getting to the problem. 
it, it's still like not, not pleasurable. <laughs> yeah. So 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 Marcos, you know, as you talk about you know some of these problems, are there some open source tools that you just that, that you love and that you use all the time? Um, to help with you know you know some of the the stuff you're doing, yeah, GNU plot, <laughs> okay, uh, and, and a small uh, helper tool that is called uh, Fit GNU plot. Um, I lose, I of course, like you know, I do a lot of um, offhand analysis, so we don't have access to the customer's monitor, and so we need to get uh, some text form. Of the uh, metrics of the data of the data collection, we we get uh, you know PT stalled or show global status samples. So basically, text based metrics, and I have to parse thousands of samples, like you know, like a, a day worth of samples. And well, I use awk, sed, and all the bash toolkit. I would say you those know, don't you, count. Come on, I mean, I, you, you, you've I, got I, <laughs> no. There, there's uh, also um, NV. I think I, I never remember the name of the actual command because I have a lot of wrappers around it. But it's something to uh, work with ta- tabular data, and it you know okay. you can summarize per column, per row, average, whatever. It, it has a lot of uh, tools that allow you to work with it. But yeah, I, I do a lot of that. I do a real lot of that. Um, what else do I use? I use uh, Keyhole. Uh, you know, there's uh, stuff I like from open source projects, like uh, MongoDB has this FTDC uh, full-time data collection uh, um, subsystem where it's permanently recording the the activity and, and the metrics of the database, the performance metrics of the database. So whenever you have a problem, you know you always have information to work with. And there's a small project called Keyhole that uh, you can feed the data that, you know, m- mount that as a data source for Grafana, and, and then you can easily inspect previous time of the database, which, which is key for performance diagnostic, right? Having the data from when the problem was happening. Um, well, other data other tool I use that is open source. Well, I use KDE. <laughs> I don't know. I, I my 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 desktop has been open source for more than thirteen years now. Uh, let's see if I'm eleven at Percona. I would say fourteen, almost fifteen years. I've been using uh, a Linux desktop, so everything I use is open source. You know, it's like I, and, I, and I at home. Know. At home, does your whole family use open source then too? Uh, most, yeah, yeah, the kids do have Linux there. We do have a Windows instance to, uh, as a dual boot to run some games. Uh, ah, but, it's the know, gaming thing. You gotta, you know, that's the only, you know, uh, catch, Yeah, right? but actually, I was reading this article from ESR, um, and he, Proton, Proton, that, that's the name of the technology, you know, like, um, where mostly you can run, uh, Linux stuff natively on windows right yes yep so you know what like this guy says you know what's going to happen uh like at some point windows now now you can run edge natively on linux right it's an yeah. elf it's an elf uh, binary so you know 
this guy says, well, you know, the most natural thing for Windows, whose business is now mostly running on Linux, because Azure, uh, most of the money for Windows, uh, for Microsoft comes from Azure now. It doesn't come from Windows anymore. You know, right. even they have the monopoly on the desktop market, they, uh, they no longer make so much money. And maintaining the beast that Windows is, and, and also integrating at the same time with Linux because they need it, because now it's their uh, main business. It's running on Linux. So the natural thing is to make Linux kernel the Windows kernel. And, and you know, it, it does look like they're going towards something like that, right? It could Which be, I, I right? imagine like, Bolmer. Yeah. I imagine Bolmer, you know, revolving on, on his tomb, on his grave. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, because Linux is the cancer, right? Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's what, you know, I, I, I get that. That was a famous quote from him back in the day. That was a famous, um, famous quote. It, it, it is interesting that, like, you start to see these companies who are so anti open source. Now they're like, it's the only way. It's the only right? way. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but then it, it, uh, you know, but then you have a flip where, you know, some of the classic open source companies that are out there are now trying to go more closed source and proprietary. Well, yeah. Red Hat's moved with uh, Red Hat set, uh, you know, IBM moved with Red Hat 8. That, that, that was. You mean oh CentOS and the, the move to, uh, what is it called? Streams? Streams? Yeah. yeah streams. streams and continuous deployment or whatever yeah yeah it's that that's that you know well obviously uh, that's the beauty of the the open source world right like what happened like there when the guys and three new projects fork it that tried to provide the replacement and just i think it was this week uh oh god they lost the name of the project spine linux no it's um one of the forks uh just had a, a beta release this week you know like oh, okay. right this week, so it's not ready for production. It was writing in the message of the day. It was there was a large message of the day saying don't try this in production. Uh, but you know they, they are already providing an alternative. And, and well, there's Elmo Linux. I'm looking. Elmo Linux gets support options. Um, no, that looks like the biggest one that keeps on coming up when I look for it. Pike uh, uh, Linux. Linux. Uh, damn it! I don't. So there's Rocky right Linux. Rocky, Rocky Linux. Linux. That that one. Rocky, Rocky Linux. Linux. Okay. Yeah. So, so it looks Rocky like Linux. right now you, you've got Elma Linux and Rocky Linux are the two yeah, ones yeah. that that most people are looking at right now. I, I was um, looking at Rocky. It seemed the most interesting to me. Uh, there was people from original CentOS team in there, um, and yeah, you know, it's like that's the beauty. It's like the community and the people. That depend on the things they they were not locked in to Red Hat or CentOS. They just took the code and said, "Screw that! I'm I'm just going to use it the way I want." But isn't this what people fear? Like, aren't these companies fearful of that? I mean, Red Hat's a little different, right? Um, you know, and obviously with IBM, it's it's a different company. It really is. It's not the yeah. same necessarily. Red Hat. Um, but when you look at other companies who are, oh, we're going to change the license. We're going to create more as in, in the enterprise only space. Um, does that, does that hurt like the community? Is, is, is that something that like, you know, I, I think for me, it turns me off where I'm like, ah, I don't yes. know if I want to use that anymore. 
I, I, I don't want to contribute. It's kind of a rhetoric question, right? It's kind of a yeah. rhetoric question. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah, obviously it's like, uh, if, if I am using a product and you change the license, like it happened with Mongo, uh, you know, like the, the change they did didn't affect most users, uh, but they certainly affected their freedoms. Now those users no longer have one of the freedoms they used to have. And so that, that point is, uh, they can also change other freedom tomorrow. They changed it one that didn't affect you or apparently, but they could change another one tomorrow. And they could, yeah. you know, when they come out with new features, Oh, look, the article I gave you today, you know, it's like, uh, you can see, uh, great improvements going into the enterprise version and not into the open source version. And well, yes. MongoDB has done that since the beginning. MariaDB is doing it now with the uh, redo log options, advanced redo log options, you know? And, and yeah, that actually hurts people when things are, are geared towards pushing customers into an enterprise option. Like, it's good if customers want to pay for an enterprise uh, service because the service you can get from multiple providers. And, and that is like, you know, the, the key is like, that's not vendor locking. It's I'm, the portability. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's portability. You're keeping control of your own destiny. But now if I give you an option that only works in, in the enterprise version, you, if you go away, you no longer have the option. Um, there was a, a famous discussion in MongoDB when the lookup uh, was implemented. Lookup is like join for documents. And initially that was going to be only in the enterprise version. And some people, some very well known people from the community came up and said, you know, that's shenanigans. I, I call shenanigans and please don't do that. That's a horrible attitude. Finally, uh, Tengen, but back, back then it was still Tengen, I guess, uh, came up and said, okay, okay, it's going to be the community edition. But they can do whatever they want. And, and yeah. <laughs> if, well, if and this is where compromise is not with open source. Yeah. And, and when you start to see people, um, you know, take what is kind of the proprietary like way of running a business and then start applying it to open source to generate more money or to, to, to get more revenue, you have some weird things. And, you know, I, I just read this article and it is not open source related, but I like it because it, it articulates one of the, the issues that you have. So McDonald's, everybody in the world knows McDonald's. Okay. Have you ever gotten a McDonald's ice cream cone? I have, I have, yes. I, I, okay, and so you know they've got the machine. You go to the machine. You, 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 you pull the handle down, and it makes the ice cream come out. Um, so there was this article on Wired this past week where they were talking about that machine, and it turns out there, you know, when you franchise a McDonald's, you have to buy that machine from one company, and. That machine is notoriously bad for breaking down. It overheats. The consistency gets wrong. Things go a little wonky. It causes all kinds of problems. So it is something that you lose money because it's broken and you got to pay a ton to have one company come out and fix it. So this, uh, 
company that, you know, like, like people who owned a McDonald's figured out, you know, they were trying to fix it themselves because they couldn't get the repair guy out there. They found a secret menu that like, you know, it's almost like the Konami code up, up, down, down, you know, like, you know, like, you know, you yeah, have to do this. You combo. do it on this ice cream <laughs> machine and all of a sudden fix it says combo. like, oh, would you like to reset this? Would you like to like, you can fix the machine yourself. You can change the temperature. You can do all the stuff that you couldn't do before. And they're like, whoa, this, this exists and you can fix all this on your own. So they built a device that allows you to make the changes. To the to to the thing, so you can fix your machine that you purchased and bought yourself, and you know now they're getting like lawsuits threatened. They're getting like you know like you know there's all these letters that are going back and forth between McDonald's and franchises. Don't use this because you risk your franchise, you risk your you know like your customer base. You're going to destroy this. This is proprietary you know software or you know tooling and, and, and machine. <laughs> so that right to repair. Which actually is is a is a you know Big like thing. a cl- classic right. It's a, it's something that that's there. It, it's prevented in the ice cream machine business, and this is where it's it's interesting because you know you look at a lot of the proprietary software that we have. You go, you buy it, you install it, you rely on it, and then if you don't continue to pay the license, you have to rip it out. And Oracle for years was famous for their audits. Right. Like they used to audit like companies left, right and sideways. And like you've got, you know, 57 installations and, you know, you're licensed for 56. You owe us, you know, $100 million in fines or whatever. Um, You know, it's not a good situation. So two two things. One is um, I I've been reading a lot about something because I have a friend that has a John Deere tractor. Uh, Uh Uh-huh. This happens to John Deere tractors as well. So, yeah, you know, it's like, and, and I've been reading, uh, forums about people that, you know, they are reversing the CPUs, uh, in, in the, in the engines to be able to actually repair them, you know, to actually not depend on John Deere's stupidly expensive after, after market. Yeah. And just, just for people who are watching, just to, to clarify, explain what the John Deere thing, because they might not know. Oh. But, well, <laughs> the, the details is that, uh, basically the, 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 you know, the tractor won't start. You, you will run out of tractor. And if you, if you don't call John Deere, there's nobody, like nobody that's going to have an interface to plug to the engine and actually be able to diagnostic, start it or, or do anything else. And, and so they are reverse engineering that, that, uh, interface. So they can have other people fixing it because the prices they charge, it, it's, it, you know, they, they make it, uh, like it's cheaper to buy a new tractor sometimes <laughs> it, than, than to continue repairing the same one over and over because it's also buggy. It's, it's not also only that it's expensive. It's also buggy. <laughs> yeah. And so. People have tried to hack around that. They've gotten threatened with lawsuits as well. There's all kinds of crazy of things there um, because it's all about keeping control. And what's what's interesting is with open source, we, we started with open source as collaborative, use it how you need to use it, share it, you know, be open and maintain that control and, and know what's happening behind the scenes. And we just get further and further away. Now, what what what's interesting is the companies you know who are out there and they're built a lot of their 
infrastructure on open source, they're now having to become the maintainers and the champions of open source. You know, look at Facebook, right? Yeah. Facebook has more open source projects and has, you know, um, you know, given more open source code than almost any other company out there. And they're not an open source company. Oh, no, no. They have tons of proprietary hardware, firmware, and and software. Uh, But yeah, yeah. You know, like your example with McDonald's, like the guys found a way to actually fix those machines. And they started sharing because they they somehow knew that sharing, someone will come up with an improvement, a fix, a cheaper way to build that uh, toy that will uh, plug to the uh, ice cream machine and fix it. So, you know, th- that's community as well, right? Like that was a community in action and, and that's the one great thing. And, and, and that's why I think uh, Facebook open source that stuff because it also, it knows that it's going to have uh, collaboration from others and it knows it's the right thing. It, it's know it's going to, uh, they, it, it also helps them build reputation. You know, it, it's technical reputation. Uh, it's uh, goodwill, right? Like you are having genuine goodwill towards open source community, which is uh, it's a good asset to have, right? It's like if, if you want to hire people from that community to work with you, you know, better uh, better have a good reputation among the community. Like you know, who who will go work for Amazon, right? Like they don't have the best reputation, so they they have a harder time hiring people. From this community, and you well, know, and this, this, that, yeah, and this is where it's weird because you see companies that started on the open source level, Elastic or Mongo or these others, and they're like running the opposite way. And then the cloud providers are, you know, like Microsoft, you know, are like, ooh, you know, open source, and like, you know, they're crossing over. Um, and I, I, I wonder if that's because early on the days of open source. It was kind of the anti-establishment. And not only was it the anti-establishment, um, you know, it was the alternative to the big providers. Like, like you don't want to run Windows, you run Linux, right? Yeah, it was the um, communist alternative. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but no, so. but, but it, it was that it, it was that, and you could make a business run being the alternative. Well, when the alternative becomes the standard. What happens? Yeah, it's a, it's a different. No, and and the the thing is, many many companies find it easier to profit with a product than with a service, and and that is like there's no product if the product is only open source, right? Or the, there's less uh, enticement for customers to purchase and pay f- recurrently for a product. If there's an open source alternative, and and that's how people ends up paying, right? Like someone builds a super good, necessary, desirable feature, and you pay for it because it's easier than implementing it yourself, and there goes open source, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. No. Absolutely. So, absolutely. But yeah, yeah. It's uh, like times back, it was like the anti-establishment, right? It, it was like the way to fight. Uh, how could a small business, you know, uh, make front to big businesses? Well, this is like a key advantage, right? This is like, okay, I am the rebel. I have little money. I have good ideas. And now I have a way to carry on with them. 
You know, I have a, an operating system, I have a web server, I have a database, I have programming languages, you know, and, and I have all the tooling necessary to develop and create useful projects and put them out there, uh, make them scalable for basically free just with my fingertips. And, and that is like what actually uh, catapulted open source in, into the fame, right? Like in, in the 90s, because that it, it really allowed, like I had my own business. And, you know, at some point I was considering purchasing uh, Informix licenses, right? And I was like, they were like 20K each. Yeah, right? yeah, they were really <laughs> It was, was so, I at, at some point, Fernando Ipar told me, hey, why, why don't you look at my secret, right? It's like, it's a sufficiently good alternative. It was early 3.0 right then, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it, it, I was like, okay, I'll take a look. And it was like more than enough for my needs. Uh, super simple to use. And, you know, bam, it, it ran on Linux. I was already on Linux. I was already using everything else open source. So we went with it and we saved tons of money that allowed us to run for months and months. And that that was like... The, the first-hand experience I have with, yeah, it allows small companies to do stuff that otherwise would be possible. The entire internet was built that way, right? Yes. <laughs> the internet, Absolutely. as we know it, would not exist without MySQL, Linux, Apache. Oh, no, 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 no. Absolutely not. It, it would be all big firms, right? Like, yeah. 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 So, yeah. And, and there was something else I was about to tell you, and now I lost track. So uh, it was along with the John Deere thing, and ah, well, I lost track. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. But I mean, like you know, as the technology kind of moves, you know, faster and you know evolves, you know, databases, for instance, they they're becoming mostly a commodity. I mean, like you know, it's it's something that people just kind of view as I need it. I don't want to think about it. <laughs> Right. I want someone else to think yeah. about it. And that leads to a lot of, um, you know, things with, you know, either databases of service or cloud providers or Kubernetes type, you know, how do I, how do I just let somebody click a button and do it? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's obviously, uh, I think Peter uh, likes to say that the database service is the future and that's where we're heading to. Uh, I agree that for many needs, database service is the answer, like, you know, development teams, QA environments, uh, you know, user accept, user acceptance environments. For production, I don't think those are as a service, right? Like, I, I mean, I, I speak with large customers and they come to me and they tell me, I want to go to Kubernetes and I ask them, how many clusters do you have? It's like, well, I have only six clusters. Do you plan to have like 20 more in the next year? No, I think we're going to stay with things for like the foreseeable future. So, you know, it's, it's not there where I see the database service thing going, but rather on the back end, right? Like on the, on the back, in the back office, like, you know, people doing the development, uh, analysts that want a copy to run their reports, uh, stuff like that, right? And, for, for that, of course, like, you know, testing backups, testing backups, it's, it's an amazing, uh, use case for database service, right? Like spin up a database, tossing this backup. I just took, make sure the database comes up, shut it down, right? Like it's a service is the, the backup verification service, right? So 
That's a good one. Um, and, and that kind of functionality, I think it's amazing. And yeah, open source databases, uh, have now become a community. Yes. I, th- I think there's like a limited amount of flavors you choose from. And we know very well what they are. They're well established. They have well defined communities, processes, you know, like they, they no longer toys. They are no longer seen as toys by anyone. They have been deployed in production for a long time and people rely on them. So they, they know they are reliable. They know what the use cases are. So they, they, yeah, you know, like you could have a menu and click, click, click and deploy yours. Um, but again, I, I personally don't, uh, see the, the production use of it. You know, like I, I don't see databases going up and down all the time in production. I rather yeah, see that them staying up. Yeah, that doesn't generally all the happen. time. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's the isn't it the isn't it the desire though for the elastic resources, right? So you've got a you know three node cluster, and you need to make it six nodes or seven nodes, and then you need to shrink it back later. Um, yeah, you know that so, tends to be something that the, happens the first more thing, frequently. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, of course, if you have like a peak of load where you're going to be reading much more, we can fix it with something elastic. And of course, it's going to depend on uh, what kind of replication you have. Uh, what's your data set size? Like, think about it. I have customers that have data sets in the 11 terabytes, 20 terabytes. How mm-hmm. do you spin up instances on the fly with 20 terabytes? Uh, snapshots. Um, those are you know. lengthy snapshots anyway, and you know that snapshots don't come for free, right? Like eleven terabytes of snapshots is bound to fill any uh, write uh, write and read uh, uh, buffers, right? So um, yeah, it's like the 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 technology is there; it could be useful. I think it's very. Not niche, but you know you have to consider a, 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 a multitude of things to actually make it safely, right? So it's not an easy button. You just can't. It, no, no. For example, whether you use group replication or Galera, for example, you know it's you web scale. Just web scale. Well, yeah, right. Exactly. Mongo is web scale, but you know you need to pay for the hardware, and and you need to have time to create the new shards, uh, and and. And again, all those provisioning operations, they do have a cost. They, they are not magically, you know, uh, appearing out of nowhere. They, they must be taking logs somewhere or they must be doing some heavy copy on the network, some heavy IO somewhere. So again, you, you could make it a solution for some use cases. I'm sure of it. But for, for example, again, TXC and group replication, they uh, being uh, virtually synchronous solutions, the more nodes you add, the more complex the internode communications become. And we know there's a scaling limit for those clusters. And, and adding nodes just out of the blue, right, could make your cluster more unstable. So again, yes, the, the scaling out is a solution to be considered for, for many scenarios, just that it's a uh, Per use case basis that that it will be good or not. 
Well, I mean, I think that's that's like everything, right? You know, so you know, you've got to remember there is no one size fits all answer. No, and, and that's 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 what I was saying about like, you know, like yeah, we we now have this uh, array of open source databases that solve different problems. You know, Mongo, Redis, Postgres, MySQL. They have really different use cases, and, and that's like where I, I agree with you, it's like a commodity, right? Like we no longer have to be investigating or doing considerations or evaluations or anything. This works. This is what the world consumes. We're going to keep doing it for a long time. You know, B3 Plus has been there for five decades. And, you know, it's, it's not due to lack of smart people in the industry that we haven't come up with something new. It's just super hard. LSM is a good alternative, but has you know, shortcomings. Uh, FT, uh, fractal trees are also another alternative, also has shortcomings. So, you know, different use cases. And, but yeah, people knows what's available and know what to use it. So yeah, that's, that's what I call a commodity. So let's take something for, for you know, uh, let me ask you this, and this, is, this will be the final question on our, our grill and open source today. So I'm going to rip this right out of the headlines. Okay, this is right out, you know, like, pull it out. So I don't know, have you been following the Linux kernel patch gate thing that's been going on with... uh, Oh, yeah, 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 with the Wisconsin University. Yeah, 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 the University of Minnesota. Minnesota, Minnesota, sorry, 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 Wisconsin. Some researchers (laughs) decided to put security vulnerabilities in um, PR requests and see if they could make it through. See, and and Um, Greg Greg Cohen was curious. Oh yes, and, very very much so. Yes. He was furious. Yes. yes. And so what do you think? Well, it's a bad joke. Uh you know, I know uh Greg gave the university a series of steps they should take on, but I haven't read the steps. I know the university came back and told him, Well, we apologize, and he said, No, apologize are not enough. I already told you what to do, and until until you don't do that. But, you know, I haven't read what he uh, demanded. But I think it's a horrible joke. I think it, it's playing uh, with fire in a gas station, right? It's, it's like, yeah, kind of... But at the same you know, time, that, that, Those patches, you know, you know, what happens if someone, a malicious actor, notices the patches and they are not noticed by... Uh, the integration team that will put them in the mainland kernel, and and then they actually go live. And, and but isn't that have... the point? Is it? But isn't this the point? Right? Like, so it's an interesting debate because think of it like this, okay? Um, a hacker isn't going to tell you that they did this, and the fact that some of the requests, I guess, made it through. I, I think there was like a percentage that they said made it through. It was like twenty percent or something. Um, that's telling in and of itself. So yeah, I don't but condone the action. It, it goes like this. How does this work? Nobody reviews all those patches, right? There's what we call a web of trust. Like, but isn't if, if I give you a patch, if I give you a patch, you know, and you will say, hey, I know Marcos. Marcos is a good coder. If there are no, you know, uh, uh, loose pointers and if there are, you know, uh, bad syntax or in general, 
it looks reasonable and it passes the tests we wrote for his code, then, you know, I trust Marcos is not introducing malicious. I, I could introduce bugs, but not malicious code. And, but, and that, if I introduce malicious code, then I'm breaking the web of trust that must exist for a project like the Linux kernel to exist, to, to be possible. Because it, it, there are so many teams that are contributing code. And, you know, there are only a few guys that are, uh, you know, um, taking all those patches from these teams. And, and that's how they, how they do it, because they trust someone in the team. They, they have a human link with someone in the team. But and isn't this the point, the though, Marcos? Like, like, isn't this the point, right? Like, think of this, okay? You become, you know, you, you have some spy from, you know, some country that you don't want to have, yeah. like, like get access to secrets. And you know, <laughs> yeah, Uruguay, those, 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 those Uruguayans, Uruguay like, like Marcos, yes. Yes, who just want your data. Um, you know, if you establish yourself as a credible person, I mean, that's kind of like a tactic, right? Um, you know, then you're, what you're saying is you could submit a patch that basically gives you backdoor access to every Linux box running that kernel. Yeah. So I know, look, there, there's no perfect security. Right. Like, no, there isn't. But, but, but this is, this is, this is the argument that proprietary companies make, right? Is like, Hey, I control that and I know what's going in. Do they? How, how, well, they, 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 that's what they say. Well, but, but I could make the same argument that the guy that finally builds the package can go raw and, and right and, and just introduce malicious code. At the very end, he, it's the last guy reviewing. How can you tell that the last guy, you know, doing the last commit, pulling from the GitHub and, you know, compiling everything into a deliverable binary is not the, the guy going rough? It's possible, but it, it does bring up like, again, I don't condone the University of Minnesota stuff. I mean, it's, it's horrible that they did it. But the fact that they could is troubling in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a level that it's like, it makes you think, I mean, is there something that needs to be tweaked with the process? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, more code reviewers, you know, and, and people from the community doing more homework and voluntary work. You know, uh, how do you call it? Um, oh, my God, when you do um, a pro bono. Right, like mm. people from companies like Percona, perhaps you know, people from companies like Dropbox or well, uh, Facebook does have a team of kernel developers already. Uh, but you know, people from companies that use Linux that depend on Linux, uh, they could devote some small, uh, very small, you know, s uh, decimal digit percent of their income to. Uh, Contribute to the Linux project and put hours on the code reviews. I, I cannot think of anything else that would help. I mean, yeah, I mean, maybe additional tests, you know, like like automated tests to, to, to test those. You can always work around those, but if you're, yeah, if you're testing, I, 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 I couldn't imagine like a, a pen test, an automated pen test that will go against new 
uh, new factors or uh, flaws, right? Like, yeah. But I mean, I, you would think that I don't know. There, there should be some way, and I'm, I'm just totally stream of conscious brainstorming. There should be some way to do some sort of like analysis of the code and look for anomalous things that have been introduced or like like different patterns and you know the development styles or something like maybe something to flag even if it can't like say this is a, this is definitely but it's yeah, something that needs extra perhaps some ai perhaps some ai looking for patterns of things that yeah and, I, and it's not to be like, malicious to like or... fix it but yeah yeah, yeah I mean, but you're yeah. right more people right more people testing. Yeah, I mean, that would be a great barrier. What, what I'm saying is people that, you know, is interested in learning C and kernel internals, that would be a great way to learn and they could do reviews and it, it's a great to, way, great way to put your name out there and, and be part of the largest software project in the world. Uh, because I, I, I do think the Linux kernel must at this point be the largest software project in the world. You will be putting things on Mars and stuff like that. Um, so it's quite cool, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. it, it's, it's a nice way to spend some time. And if, if you have 2000 people doing it, you know, like, like which is, is not that many, uh, versus the amount of people using the Linux kernel, right? Um, yeah. Then it, well, it will certainly catch a few of those. Yeah. Well, Marcos, thank you for sitting down talking grilling and open source at the same time today. Yeah, man. Um, you know, hopefully people find this interesting and want to hear more. And if you do, you know, give us some topics to tackle or some, um, dishes to make. If you want us to, to, to grill up some, some, some tasty or oddball treats, um, you know, we can, we can try that on a future episode as well and, and live stream it. Uh, but Marcos, thanks for joining me today and, um, have a great one. Thank you, Matt. It was really, really fun talking with you and uh, discussing about open source. It, it is one of my great passions. Uh, so super happy to be here. And I hope people do like it and that we'll be cooking something very soon. Wow, what a great episode that was. We really appreciate you coming and checking it out. We hope that you love open source as much as we do. If you like this video, go ahead and subscribe to us on the YouTube channel. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And of course, tune in to next week's episode. We really appreciate you coming and talking open source with us.